Hey lady of love bugs. This episode is a super fascinating deep dive into male circumcision and while it's got so much incredible info and exposes a lot of very important realities of this procedure that I really want you to know about and the consequences that um, a lot of people don't realize, I do feel the need to put a bit of a caveat at the start here um, because the content of this episode is very intense and my guest, Davey, is extremely passionate about the topic, sometimes getting a touch carried away or overly forceful with her views, understandably. But I want to offer a warning that it might be triggering if you yourself have already been circumcised um, through no fault of your own, it's totally out of your control, or maybe if you've had a child circumcised because, um, you know, you didn't realize some of the information that we're going to be laying out in this podcast. Um, It might be triggering because some of the information is pretty shocking um, and also the way it's conveyed is pretty uh, aggressive sometimes. As I said, my guest is very passionate and it's a topic that I feel really strongly about as well. Um, so I want to acknowledge that upon hearing some of the stuff in this episode, it might make some people feel as though without a foreskin, they're doomed to less pleasure or that they aren't going to be as good lovers as they could be if they were intact. This doesn't have to be the case. Uh, I hate the thought that the stance taken in this podcast on circumcision might make some men feel like that or feel inadequate or insecure or targeted. I really don't want any of my content to make anyone feel like this. I don't want anyone to feel alienated or down on themselves. Um, So please know that if you're circumcised, you can still totally have great sex, as I'm sure you already know and have been having. Um, you can still feel awesome pleasure. You can also learn to sensitize your penis again if need be. And, you know, in the episode, we talk about these sort of um, methods of growing back your foreskin. You don't need to do that. You can resensitize your dick. Um You know, you can also learn to be a very adept and conscious lover because we do talk in the episode about how being circumcised and the sort of lower level of sensitivity can mean that these people might fuck differently and therefore it'll be it'll be different for their lovers. So all of this is like, you know, helpful information to know, but I really don't want it to feel as though you're being attacked and you know, I just want to say like being circumcised is not the be all and end all by any means. Though at points in the podcast it can maybe sound a bit that way. So this is why I wanted to put this this, you know, disclaimer in at the start. Um we're coming at the topic quite aggressively simply because we want to prevent any more of these surgeries from happening um, because parents don't have the correct information, you know. Um, But if you've already been circumcised, that's okay. Nothing to freak out about. It's definitely not my intention to make circumcised people feel shitty, more to prevent uh, parents from doing this to their children simply because it's the done thing and, you know, we've never questioned it or because of the misinformation out there about it that leads parents to make the decision to circumcise their children unnecessarily. So that's all, really. Um, I'm truly sorry if it in any way makes you feel inadequate or attacked. Uh, And the other thing I want to mention before we jump in is that there's one fact that Davey rolls out um, in the podcast that I was like, what? Um, And that actually isn't 
isn't true as far as I can tell. When she speaks about multiple babies, circumcisions going wrong, and the whole penis being severed, um, this did happen. It did happen at least once on record many years ago, yes, but it seems to be a standalone incident as far as my digging can discover anyway. But she talks about it in the episode as if it's something that still happens and has happened multiple times. So, I just wanted to clear that up. Um, I don't think that that is factually correct when she talks about that. But apart from that, the info, um, it is shocking, but it is sound and it might give you pause when considering this sadly normalized procedure. So, now that my trigger warning's out of the way, enjoy this eye-opening episode. And of course, if you have any issues with the information we discuss, if you have any thoughts you want to share with me, please, by all means, get in touch and I'd love to hear from you. This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Welcome, welcome, my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. Ah, <laughs> oh, can never help myself. Anyway, we're going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country, and I pay respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. Now, if you're ready, let's flap and do this. <laughs> oh God, is there such thing as too many vagina jokes in the one intro? <laughs> Whatever, I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up a couch. It's the Labia Lounge. Hello, my labial loves. Welcome back to the lounge where we'll be having a discussion on circumcision today with the lovely Davy Ward Erickson. And I've been wanting to cover the topic of male circumcision for ages now. And so um, when I saw Davy do a post about this, I got in touch and I thought, oh my gosh, all right, this is, this is, she's going to be the perfect person to discuss this with and hopefully spread a bit of awareness about it. Um, and a little background. I initially, just sort of thought this episode was going to be just about the effect of this procedure on the penis owner. But then in my research, I discovered that there was actually a whole other side to the issue around how male circumcision affects female sexual health. Whoa. So we're definitely going to get stuck into all of that because um, it's bloody fascinating. And I just really want to get yeah get this info out there because I just think it's so fucking archaic that this is still so commonly practiced. But let me introduce my gorgeous guest today because she's pretty darn impressive. So <laughs> Davy is the founder of the Institute of Authentic Tantra Education, the first and only government accredited professional training institute using the Tibetan five element tantric practices for holistic sexual healing, which is like, whoa, just to get that accredited and yeah, amazing. Um, so Davy is an ACS certified sexologist, certified tantric healer, certified Reiki practitioner, certified meditation instructor, and she has been teaching meditation and personal growth workshops for over 20 years. Hot damn. Davy's an author and 
and the host of Sexy's Medicine podcast, which is great. Definitely check that out. And she's a wealth of knowledge and experience. So I'm super wrapped to have you in the lounge with me today, Davey. Welcome. Get yourself a clit cushion and get comfy. Yeah, I even brought a glass of wine because it's evening time. So I'm here for it. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. So I guess firstly, let's just start with the absolute basics because we can never assume that people know what we're talking about, I suppose. I mean, um, yeah, what is circumcision? How common is it? What does that process actually look like when a baby's circumcised? You know, like, because I feel like people are like, yeah, I know what circumcision is, but do we actually go that extra step and think about, okay, so how does that go down? What does that look like in action? So if you mm-hmm. want to give us some basic info on male circumcision, that would be amazing. Yeah. So the the big issue that we're talking about is infant male circumcision. I do want to say that, you know, mm-hmm. once you're beyond the age of consent, if you want to be circumcised, like more power to you. Mm-hmm. But the big right. is infant male circumcision because of the impact that it has on the brain. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So I'm going to paint mm-hmm. a picture for you. You've just given birth to a perfectly healthy baby boy. He's intact, all has all fingers, all toes, perfectly healthy, absolutely nothing wrong, perfect genitals, beautiful little new human being in the world. You breastfeed him, you cuddle him, you snuggle him. There's this bonding, this neurological bonding, this hormonal and chemical bonding. He's welcomed into this world and he feels safe in your arms and nurtured and there's all this love and connection. And then three days later, he's taken from your arms taken to a room with big bright lights strapped down to a table and his little tiny perfect penis, they peel back the foreskin of the uh, penis and uh, it feels like imagine sticking a butter knife under your fingernail and peeling the nail back from the, from the root. Okay. So that's what they're doing to your, so your, your little baby boy, he's three days old. He's known nothing but the love and comfort of his mother and the warm arms and boobies and all that good stuff. Now he's taken and strapped down to a table and literally fucking tortured the most sensitive part of his entire body, 20,000 or more nerve endings on this little penis is now being mutilated. So the first thing they do is they peel back the foreskin to expose the glands. And then through, you know, the procedure has evolved through time. Initially they used metal blades. Now I see that they use lasers. It may differ depending on the the hospital or the country that the circumcision is being performed in. Mm. But the most sensitive part of his penis, 20,000 nerve endings are forcibly and surgically removed, leaving the beautiful little glands, which is mucous membrane, which is not meant to be exposed until he becomes later in life. Certainly not after three days old. It's fused, fused to the glands of the penis. It's peeled back, it's removed, and now this little beautiful infant boy has a wound, has a wound. The entire top of his penis is a wound is a wound that then leaves him open for infection, illness, amputation, all sorts of shit that can occur to the perfect. An hour ago, this this infant was perfect, unmarred. An hour later, he has an open wound 
And the most sensitive part of his body has been tortured and then removed. Do they use anesthetic? I believe that they do now. I know historically they have not. But that's not the point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, no, totally. <laughs> Even if they do it. So, so I will say initially, so in my generation, I'm Gen X, I'm 47. And so I'm Generation X. And Generation X had a 90% circumcision rate in North America. And at the time, no, they did not use anesthesia. And I have this from, I cannot tell you how many boomer mamas I've spoken to about this in tears. And they're telling me, well, the doctors didn't think babies could experience pain. So in my generation, no, they did not anesthetize infants. Mm -hmm. Now I would hope that they anesthetize infants. That does not change the fact that when, (laughs) when the anesthesia wears off, he has a wound for a penis. His sexual Mm -hmm. organ has become an open wound. Yeah. And his little immune system's barely even gotten started. And already there's just this, yeah, like you were saying, it's a mucous membrane. The foreskin is initially fused to the glands of the penis. It should not be exposed. It's not designed to be, you know, that's all just so fucked up. Um, Oh my God. And it's still really common, isn't it? Like what, 60% or something in, do you know the stats? It really depends on the country. So North America and particularly the United States, has the highest rate of infant male circumcision. Um, I know in my generation, it was like 90%. Um, I think now because of education, because of shows like this, I think it's now, it might be 60% in the United States, which is still a lot. Um, but, but um, you know, again, it's not practiced. I think the United States is one of the, one of the only places that still practices it to the same degree, uh, mm-hmm. to the same Um, And so the big thing for me about infant male circumcision is, yes, okay, the procedure, but also keep in mind that your infant baby, your your little infant son, the, the brain is not developed yet. So you, so the first zero to three years uh, when a child is born is the most important and the most impactful in terms of their 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 development as a human being, their emotional, psychological, like how they relate to life in general is being imprinted during those first zero to three years. And and experts have said that any interruptions, any traumas that occur with particularly within those first first 24 months are almost irre- irreparable, are almost mm. insurmountable. And that there is a stark difference in the personal and overall well-being between a person who's experienced a huge trauma like circumcision in those first three years of life versus someone who is not. Huge. The impact that it has on the brain is destructive. Like, why would you want to fuck up your baby's brain? Yeah. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? (laughs) I know. I know it's heartbreaking. And like there are these studies, like you mentioned, that are coming out showing that it like irreparably impacts the brain, the limbic system. Like it's pretty black and white at this point. Like we know it's fucked. We know it does a lot of damage, you know. Oh, God, it gives me chills. It's hard to even, yeah, think about. Um, and it's happening for religious reasons as well as non-religious reasons, right? 
Well, so I think that, you know, that's a, that's, that's a, a misconception as, as far as I understand. So I know that, you know, in the Jewish tradition, I can speak to, to that because I've, you know, had some in, under education around that. But initially, circumcision was not done on infants. It was actually done as a rite of passage when from pu- from childhood to puberty, right? Mm-hmm. And so a piece, and and it wasn't a total amputation like they do now. It was a piece of the foreskin to show your, you know, honoring to God. How it became a practice of on infants, I don't know why the Jewish tradition adopted infant male circumcision um, for infants, because like that is the most devastating, as I said to begin with. When you're an adult and your brain is more developed, do what you want, right? Like it's your body, it's your choice, do what you want. But an infant who has no choice, who's literally at the mercy of the environment and the fact that that brain, that is the biggest point, that that brain is st- is just initially being developed, anything that occurs at that point, particularly a severe trauma like that, is going to be detrimental to your development as a human being. And so, uh, as I said, I don't know why the Jewish tradition began practicing infant male circumcision. I would say maybe you, I, I don't, I, I, you know, like you do you, I don't understand it. But most of the circumcision, the circumcision that I am advocating against and that I publicly speak against is the non-religious infant male circumcision. The, the kind that's being practiced in most hospitals in North America. There's not a religious reason that my white Anglo-Saxon Protestant husband had, was circumcised. The only reason he was circumcised is because the doctor told the mom that that's better. Mm. Yeah, that's well, the that's only the thing. It's like I feel like most people don't actually know why they do it. They just go along with it because it's what's done. It's the done thing. It's common, and they maybe assume it's like a hygiene thing. I feel like that's the only reason I can pull out that I've heard people say, "Oh, well, like it's cleaner. It's more hygienic." But like, why? Why the fuck are we doing this still? Like, is okay, that so because people I just assume? Because that's like saying that cutting off my inner labia is going to be more hygienic. It's like saying yeah, that cutting ridiculous. off my literal hood is going to help me keep my keep my pussy cleaner. Like really? Like you don't know how to wash? <laughs> I mean, come on. And that's part of like maturing as a man is learning from your father how to care for your foreskin. It's a beautiful mm. organ, just like I learned how to wash my vagina and my vulva. My mom in the shower, I have memories. This might go in your TMI section. I have memories of my mom teaching me to wash my vulva when I was three years old. I remember that, right? Yeah. So if my mother can teach me how to wash all the folds of my labia, why couldn't a daddy teach his son or a mommy teach their son how to wash the folds of his foreskin? It's absolute insanity. Totally, totally, and it, and it's so misguided as well because it's not it's not more hygienic. Like I, I was learning about how because it is a mucous membrane, it's 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 designed to be an internal part of the body. But once you circumcise, it's now all of a sudden an external part, which means the whole bacteria, um, the bacterial balance changes from the internal bacteria to out external bacteria and then that causes issues because schmegma is not like it schmegma sorry i say (laughs) i say schmegma because my ex and i used to have a joke and we would call it schmegma and then i forget that the actual word is schmegma (laughs) um anyway yeah like can you speak on that and and the actual facts around you know the hygiene factor and also how it actually just changes the entire you know balance the the sort of 
I guess, microbiome on the glands of the penis. Yeah. And thank you. So, I mean, you, you pretty much said it, but exactly correct is that. So the foreskin makes the, the whole like top portion of the penis and the glands mucous membrane. So the vagina is also mucous membrane. So when you have mucous membrane connecting with mucous membrane, good shit happens. The, the microbes and bacteria are compatible. They're meant to work together. It's like mucous membrane is like your eyelid. That's mucous membrane, right? It's soft, it's squishy, it has its own specific type of bacteria to keep it healthy and moist and protected. And so when you cut that off, A, the head of the penis keratinizes, so it becomes scar tissue. So it becomes less sensitive to touch. And also, as you were saying, the bacteria on the surface of the penis now becomes skin bacteria as opposed to mucous membrane bacteria. Mm -hmm. So now when you introduce it into the mucous membrane of the vagina, now you have competing and incompatible bacteria. So that's going to make your pussy smell. Like (laughs) straight up, that's going to give rise to yeast infections because you're introducing incompatible bacteria to mucous membrane. So if I started putting a bunch of shit in my eyeball, what do you think is going to happen? I'm going to get an eye infection, right? So, (laughs) right? So, so it introduces in inhospitable and incompatible bacteria to the mucous membrane of the vagina, which gives us infections, UTIs, bacterial vaginosis, stinky smells. Mm. It's, it's not a good situation for those of us with vaginas. Mm, yeah, totally, totally. And it's actually just wild because if you're getting chronic thrush with a certain partner or, you know, and you just don't really know why, you would never think like, oh, it's because he's for, you know, circumcised or something. Like I, I'm thinking back because once I learned this, I was like, what the actual fuck? Like vaginas are more prone to getting thrush and infections because of this incompatibility in, in bacteria. And I started thinking back and just trying to remember, all right, so who had a foreskin and who didn't and when, because I've had massive issues with chronic thrush and BV in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and it lined up. I was like, oh, my God. And I'd kind of assumed like, oh, you know, some people's genit- genital bacteria just aren't compatible, but I didn't know that that was a factor. Yep. Um, so actually less hygienic in, in a way, you know. Um, Actually, yes. Yeah, it's yes. crazy. So other than, I guess, protecting the glands of the, of the penis and keeping that sort of bacterial balance intact on the mucosal membrane, what are the other purposes or functions of a foreskin? Like what are some other reasons why it's really important to try and keep it around? Hey, babe towns. So sorry to interrupt, but I simply had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that you've got to get around. It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in. And there you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies or discounts for offerings from guests who've been interviewed on the podcast, inspiring and thought-provoking conversations, and support from a community of labial legends. I also have an account on the fab new app Sunroom, which is a platform created by women for women and non-binary folk, and where there's no shadow banning or censorship of sex-positive content unlike with the other platforms that I'm on. So you can hit up my sunroom for extra content and real and raw life updates because I'll be sharing on there from now on all of the stuff that I can't post anywhere else. 
My vision for both of these is that they become really supportive, educational and hilarious resources for you to have more access to me and a safe space to ask questions that you can't ask anywhere else. So head over to the links in the show notes and I'll hopefully see you in there. And now back to the episode. Okay, so so number one, y'all, it's pleasure. God, nature made us to feel good. Nature designed us for our genitals to be exquisitely pleasurable. Women have five beds of internal erectile tissue. Most of our, our internal, our erectile tissue is internal. For men, most of their erectile tissue is external, but we are designed for pleasure. The main function of the foreskin is pleasure. Men lose 60 to 70% of their pleasure. Guys, you lose 60 to 70%. Are you willing to live with that? 60 to 70% is lost from circumcision. That is a huge amount. You're functioning with 30 to 40% of your capacity. Oh my God. So number one, the function of the foreskin is pleasure. Some other ways that it functions is it creates a seal around the vagina so that penetrative intercourse, when the, when the penis is penetrating, it doesn't wick moisture out of the vagina. It seals moisture into the vagina. You have mucous membrane and mucous membrane in contact God is present in that moment. Let me just tell you, like, it is, it is glory. The other thing that it does is it bunches up, that bunching around the vaginal opening presses on the G-spot and stimulates female ejaculation. So that's another function is it fun, it create, it's designed to enhance pleasure to literally press on your erogenous zones as a yoni owner, as a vagina owner to actually increase pleasure for you. It also has estrogen receptors, so it can it can bioadapt the sperm to to match your egg more effectively. It has microbes that are anti, you know, that are that are um, immune immune protectants for both partners, for the penis and for the vagina. Um, and I can't remember everything else off the top of my head, but there's all kinds of websites. So look, at, like study this, you guys. The foreskin is an organ. It is an actual organ and it has intelligence. It's brilliant. It bioadapts shit. <laughs> like it's amazing. <laughs> oh my God. It's so, yeah. Like when I started looking into this and I was like, oh wow. Okay. There's like, it can, can trigger ovulation. There's antibodies. There's like this whole G-spot orgasm factor, which is no small factor. Like that's pretty fucking cool. Like I just couldn't, cause I was like, okay, you know, like I guess it buffers a bit of friction. I get that. You know, it protects penis. I get that. I didn't think it would affect the vagina quite so much. Like I had no idea. Like the more I learned about it, the more I was like, oh my God. Like, um, I feel like maybe I'm making this up. Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like I even saw some kind of statistic where, um, more like women who, or vagina owners who have sex with an unfor an uncircumcised penis, um, have a far higher rate of orgasm with penetrative sex. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't remember what the exact statistic is off the top of my head, but that has been verified and uh, on many occasions. And I can also speak from personal experience. 
for yeah. those of us who have vaginas and have had penetrative intercourse with a penis, there is a vast difference in sensation between a circumcised penis and an uncircumcised penis. In fact, that's like, mm. I remember like before I knew anything about this, like 25 years ago when I encountered my first uncircumcised penis, I remember my first like intuitive relationship to it. I was like, oh, this is not an angry penis. That was my mm. first thought. I was like, oh, it just, it just, it didn't feel angry. And I didn't even realize that circumcised penises felt angry to me until I saw an intact penis and was like, and my emotional, like my heart, I was like, oh, this is, this isn't, this penis isn't angry. It's not mad at me. And, mm. and the actual sexual sensation of it was like exquisite. It was, it was, mm. I mean, it was, it was like silk. It was not like nothing I had ever experienced before. And then going from that to a circumcised penis, then experiencing irritation and dryness and soreness and all these other things. Like, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a world of difference. And, and I don't I mean, I mean, my, my husband's circumcised and I love his penis. So I don't want <laughs> throw shade at circumcised penises. I love penises, right? Not a deal breaker. (laughs) And and there is a vast difference. Now, even saying that, saying that, I will say that working with men over the last 13 years and working with them in, in offering tantric and somatic sexual healing methods to antidote some of the trauma that, that they underwent a circumcision has, A, increased sensation for them incredibly. So like exponentially, all the men that have used these methods report like, wow, I can actually feel my entire penis, not just the tip. Because that's the thing with circumcision. A, it's the removal of the skin, but you're also traumatizing that area of the body. So when there's trauma, there's usually a lack of sensation. So most heterosexual well, I won't even say heterosexual, most cisgender men walking around who are circumcised have like a fraction of their sexual sensation. Most of them have reported to me that they just, most of their penis is numb and that's just normal. They're like, Oh yeah, the shaft, I'm not supposed to feel anything on the shaft of my penis. Yes, you are. And so through this tantric healing with my partner and other, other of the men that I teach, what they report is, Oh my God, they can feel their entire penis from base to from base to head the entire shaft and the way they make love is very different than pre healing after or throughout their healing, the way they make love changes. So there's no more jackhammer pounding because they're numb and they can't feel anything unless they're pounding on you. They actually begin to make love more like a man who's intact. It's smoother. They can do micro movements. They don't need to like pile drive you to feel anything because that's the issue. So many circumcised men are numb. So they need to pound the pussy so that they can feel something. But yeah. an intact man doesn't need to pound you because he's got all of his sensation intact. Whoa. Yeah. So it's like, it's sort of, there's two reasons, I guess, already in that, in that why, you know, vaginas are more likely to have. And I actually just found it. I wrote down women are 10 times more likely to have an orgasm with an intact penis rather than a circumcised. And it's like, one, the foreskin is actually playing a role in the pleasure. And two, the way they have sex is completely different because they're not just like trying to ram your fucking door down with yes. their cock just yep. to feel something because that is, that is the thing. Like, I think I was, um, I was reading that initially when they're younger, like teenagers and stuff, 
they have a far, uh, circumcised men have a far higher rate of premature ejaculation issues yeah. because it's so hypersensitive because it's not supposed to be exposed all the time like that. Yeah. And then as they get older, it calcifies, it builds up scar tissue, it tries to protect itself, and then it gets more numb. So either way, you're kind of at the wrong ends of the spectrum there, which sucks. Yeah. And here's the thing. The reason that circumcision was institutionalized in the United States was from Dr. Kellogg of Kellogg's Cornflakes back in like the late 1800s, early 1900s. And he was like, I don't know why the fuck people believe this dude. I don't know, maybe in money or whatever, but they just believe this dude spouting off all this bullshit. And he was like the most sex negative person on the planet. He would brag about the fact that he like never had sex with his wife. Like that was like his claim to fame. He's like, I never have sex with my wife because I'm so pure. So he, he institutionalized circumcision as a way to, um, to literally, tra- he, he wanted to traumatize people to, to prevent them from masturbating later in life. So to give you an example of what this dude did when teenage girls were found to be touching themselves, their parents would be like, Oh, bring them to the doctor's office. He would pour carbolic acid on their clitorises to destroy the nerve endings to ensure that they experience no genital pleasure. And so the entire reason that circumcision was instituted in the United States was specifically to decrease sexual pleasure for both partners. That was why that was the motivation. It was specifically to fuck you up sexually, to make it less pleasurable and to ensure that you didn't enjoy sex. Such a piece of work, wasn't he? It's just repulsive the things that he did and and actually just gained so much popularity like how did that even become a fucking thing why do people believe him? that's what i'm saying like if someone's selling bullshit why am i buying it and then why am i institutionalizing it what is my agenda and then why do i continue to perpetuate it We know all this now. So why is circumcision still institutionalized in hospitals? Why are mothers still pressured to get their infant sons tortured and mutilated? Why? Because it's a billion-dollar industry. Money. Mm. Yeah. Actually, I read something about how it's it's the equivalent. Each circumcised penis is like the equivalent in like a hundred grand worth of medical bills or, or, or expenses because they have to buy. Like, they didn't actually go into why, but I assumed it was because they had to spend more money on. I don't know. Do you know why it's so? Ex- it's so a- it's the procedure. It's the procedure itself that they bill mm-hmm. for. And then I don't, I don't know about all the supplies around it, but I do know that they sell the foreskin to pharmaceutical companies or, um, I'm, I don't know if pharmaceutical companies is a correct word, but they sell it to, uh, uh, to companies to create, to extract the elastin. So for skin creams, if you're using a skin cream with elastin, natural elastin, one of the only natural sources of elastin is human skin. So they sell the foreskin of oh infant boys to make wrinkle cream. For celebrities, essentially. So oh that's where the little boy's foreskin has gone. It's gone onto J-Lo's face. God. 
fuck you can't write this shit like you actually it's just blows my mind like and I'd imagine that I suppose there might be issues down the track with infections with uh-huh. um you know a lack of sensitivity therefore they're going to be spending money on on tr- ways to try to sensitize or maybe they're too sensitive so they're going to be spending money on how, how premature ejaculation how do I fix this like um you know maybe even like because it's less sensitive when they're older they find it harder to get um, hard and the trauma there makes it harder to have an erection so they have to buy Viagra like there'd be so many I mean I'm just like fully pulling this out of the air but I feel like there'd be so many knock-on effects of that initial procedure that they would end up being spending more money you know on their health on their mental health on their sexual health like because it's it's an it's a huge trauma from such a young age that that is going to create a sicker person who then needs you know to seek more help and spend more money, I guess. I'm just no, I'm that's not, a I'm not. it's an adverse childhood experience. And we know that adverse childhood experiences, this is this is clinically shown or and documented that adverse childhood experiences lead to chronic illnesses and dysfunctions later in life. So basically when you pay a hospital to circumcise your son, you are literally paying them to traumatize your son and set them up for chronic illnesses for the rest of their lives. And then you want to talk about emotion, you want to talk about relationships. Well, trauma impairs our ability to connect, particularly if you're talking about the first zero to three years of life. That's where we're bonding and learning how to relate to other human beings, namely our parents and our environment. So a shock trauma and torture like that being ripped from your mother's arms, tortured, and then having to deal with a horrible, you know, wound in between your legs for that doesn't heal for like, you know, weeks to, to months, potentially that has a huge impact on our ability to have healthy relationships later as adults. Like it's, yeah. it's, we're paying people to traumatize us. Why? Why? Yeah. I know. And why am I not surprised? It's just, and we're so slow. We're so slow to change things, even though the information's there, the research is there. Like it's going to, it's going to take ages before that's obsolete. Whereas right now already, it just seems like ridiculous to me. It's like completely archaic. Um, but it's, yeah, it's still such a common thing and people just don't know about the damage that it causes. And they think it's not a big deal. I'm like, how do you, sit in a room with your baby being tortured, just screaming and crying. Like I just, you know, <laughs> and it, it's, it's normal. It's normalized trauma and it's normalized sexual violence. And so I hear you. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you saw on my Instagram post, like people are arguing for their right to, to, you know, genitally mutilate and torture their sons. I'm like, okay, I, I'm not telling you, you can't do it. Obviously I don't have that authority, but I'm saying why, why? Like literally that is the hill they want to die on. Like, but but it's because it's an it's normalized s- yeah. social and sexual violence it's been normalized in this culture mm. and mm. yeah i don't know i i'm very passionate about it and i'm also at the same i'm like i'm it's unfathomable to me it's like when you have the information why do you continue to torture mm. yourself why would you continue mm. to perpetuate that having all of this information yeah, I know. I know. Can't relate. Anyway, well, I'd love to do the segment Get Pregnant and Die. Don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have, don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise? 
So this is where I ask my guests uh, for a story about their sex education. It could be at school. It could be from your parents or pretty much, yeah, any sort of anecdote you've got around your sex ed, maybe how it failed you, maybe how it did a great job, maybe something you were stoked that you learned about, maybe something you would have loved to have learned about that you didn't. Pretty much anything. So what do you got? Yeah. So, so my, I'm going to say, I want to talk about my sex ed through Tantra because that's actually where I got my sexual education because what stood out for me when I actually began experiencing my body's capacity for pleasure was the utter and complete lack of education that I had received previous to that. So we do not receive sex education in North America. It is not sex education. It is pregnancy it's, it's anatomical, biological functioning and even not, and, and a fraction of that. We learn about how babies are made and the fact that you're, you're, and how to prevent pregnancy and, uh, that you're probably going to get an STD and you're a dirty, nasty whore. That's, that's what we, that's our sex education in North America. <laughs> don't enjoy it don't want it you're gonna have to do it and if you like it you're you're a slut so that was my sex education growing up when i started and and i will say that i did not learn tantra for sex that's not the way it was introduced to me i actually practice lineage based tantra not neo tantra i do not practice neo tantra i practice lineage based tantra so my introduction to tantra was was spirituality and you got to have sex too i was like oh cool so when i began experiencing over 15 different types of orgasm when I began experiencing orgasm after orgasm after orgasm after orgasm so that like I lost all sense of time and there was nothing but bliss void floating in space. That was my sex education. That was my <laughs> education around what my potential, my sexual potential as a human being actually was. I would not call what people learn in school sex education. I would call that maybe biology 101. Hmm. Yeah, word. <laughs> I, it sounds like your sex education through classical tantra was far preferable. So at least you found that path. I mean, fuck. Imagine if you didn't and you just had the what you what you had in school. Whew. Um. So getting back to thank you for that. Loved that. Mm -hmm. Loved loved hearing about your initiation into your multi orgasmic potential. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'd love to go into a bit more about how it affects the sexual health of people who have vaginas because we know, obviously, it's pretty fucked for the penis owner. Um, another couple of little stats that I, I had jotted down was that 30% of circumcised men have bent penises due to the procedure, which isn't, you know, an issue, having a bent penis, don't mind a bit of that. But there's also one to two deaths every single day from yeah. infants dying from circumcision yeah. so that that is like what what <laughs> how how is this a thing why are people still doing it like that's wild um but yeah to kind of shift gears and chat about how it affects vaginas we did speak a bit about um how it makes uh sex more enjoyable if there's a foreskin for a couple of reasons and the bacterial balance you know being disrupted are there other ways that um circumcision affects female sexual health 
Yes. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to put a pin in that and circle back because you stimulated something for me and talking about <laughs> uh, one or two infants die. Also, I don't know the statistics, but, but the, rem- the, the, the accidental removal of the penis. <gasps> well, so I was just reading about this. Um, I, I, so, so yes. And what they do, so they accidentally during the circumcision procedure, and this happens quite frequently, again, you can get the statistics online, um, but it happens quite frequently where they accidentally amputate the entire penis. And then what they do is gender reassignment surgery. So they cut off the penis accidentally. And then they say, oh, oh well, I guess you're a girl. What the fuck? Are you and kidding then, me? No, I'm not kidding you. I guess you have a big clitoris now. Whoopsie. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm speechless. Mm-hmm. I how do they get away with this? What do the parents say? I don't understand. Do they then have to give the thing the the, the kid hormones once they hit puberty? Like, how does this work? Mm-hmm. So no, they do. So then, then, so they're they're an infant. They amputate the penis. They do they do gender reassignment surgery. So now you've got a baby girl. You start with a baby boy. Now you've got a baby girl. So now you have a girl growing up, being like, "Dude, I feel like a fucking dude. I am a boy. Why? Why I am a boy trapped in a girl's body? Actually, you were born a boy, and they cut your penis off. And now, and then they tried to make you a girl. And now you're all fucked up and confused and can't go to school in fucking Florida or some shit because because now you're transgender because the doctor cut off your penis." Oh my God. How do you accidentally cut off a penis? Well, because you're using a laser to cut off the foreskin and it's tiny. It's on an infant. And so. Oh my God. That's what you're subjecting. I mean, like, it's like Russian roulette. Do you really want to take the risk that the laser is going to be misadjusted and they don't accidentally lightsaber the entire penis off and not just the foreskin? Like that's the risk that you're taking. They could literally cut the what? entire penis off, and it happens frequently. Well, aren't there just heaps of lawsuits from the parents being like, "Hang on, you cut off my baby's dick!" Like what? I'm sure they have you sign waivers. Oh my god, this is so fucked up. Okay, whoa, mm-hmm. whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just, I'm just gonna be cramming this episode down everyone's throats. Like everyone needs to hear this. I'm pulling this out of my ass, y'all. Just Google. Google infant male circumcision. I've got a website right here, saving our sons foreskin, saving our sons, saving our skins, saving our sons, saving our skins. <laughs> it's savingsons.org. Go to savingsons.org and they will tell you all about it. And at savingsons.org are, are all of the resources that I learned all of my information from too. So you can be just like me and be well-informed about this. The other people that I will also shout out are uh, Dr. Paul Tenari, um, and uh, who has been on my podcast as well uh, and who is an expert. And he was actually the one of uh, the primary person who conducted that medical study about um, the impact of infant male circumcision on the brain, on the infant brain. He, he, he initiated that study. He's here in Canada and he initiated that study. And then also Dr. Ron Goldman, who's been on my podcast as well. So, you know, this is well-researched and well-studied. So we're not, I'm not just pulling this out of my ass here. You guys, it's like, this yeah. is for real. And you can look this yeah. up and, and verify this for yourself. So saving mm. sons, Saving sons. Put that in the show notes. Yeah, cool. I'll pop links in the show notes for sure. 
Excuse the interruption, my loves, but I'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five-star ratings for the potty because, as I'm sure you've noticed by now, it's pretty fab. And the more people who get to hear it, the more people it can help. Reviews and ratings help me curry favor with the algorithmic gods and get suggested to other listeners to check out. Plus, they make me feel really good and appreciated as I continue to pour my heart and soul into creating this baby for you. And I promise I don't maz over them or anything. I mostly just tuck them away for a rainy day when I'm filled with self-doubt and existential dread about being self-employed, which is fairly frequently. (laughs) So you see, leaving a review really does make a difference and it's an easy little act of support that you can take in just a minute or two by either going to Spotify and leaving five stars for the show or writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Choose your poison, or if you're a real overachiever, you could do both. Whoa now. If you are writing a review, though, just be sure to only use G-rated words, because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality, words like sex can be censored and your review won't actually show up. Lame. Anyway, oh, oh, what was that? Oh, you're going to go do it right now while I wait. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great idea. May as well just quickly click that five-star button before we get on with it and, you know, like forget about it and get on with your day. Um, um, oh, I'm hearing them roll in. I'm hearing those five stars. <laughs> oh my God, I make myself cringe. Anyway, uh, thank you much, Lee. You're a total gem and I'll let you get back to the episode now. Okay. Well, I'm horrified. My mind's blown. Let's let's go back to the question about female sexual health and see how okay. much more horrified I can get. So we we talked about some of the most important pieces, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this in here, and this is what I learned from Dr. Paul Tenari. So Paul Tenari um, is a big advocate of 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 female ejaculation. He really believes that female ejaculation is one of the ways that women's bodies. Um, maintain health. And he believes, and he's got science to back it up. I can't remember all of it, but it's in the podcast and he's got some books. And he really believes that like when a, when a woman ejaculates, whether it's the urinary bladder discharge or the, the actual FE that comes from the, the periurethral sponge, that it's, that it's the woman's body's way of like detoxing the lymphatic system and ridding the body of like heavy metals and, and restoring balance. Essentially it's about restoring balance. And so when a woman isn't able to ejaculate, which most women in the society are not ejaculating regularly, there's a buildup in the lymphatic system. And he believes that that contributes to the high cases of breast cancer and just all kinds of lymphatic wellness issues, lymphatic dysfunctions. So when a, when the when this foreskin is removed and we're not functioning sexually the way we were designed, when the foreskin is removed, we are not functioning the way, like nature made us to fuck a certain way. And when, when the foreskin is removed, we are no longer getting all the health benefits of sex. Sex is health. It is a health program. It's regenerative. It's restorative. You can look at all the chemicals that are produced. It is healthy for us to make love. That is the way nature and God designed us. So when you remove the foreskin, it no longer triggers that ejaculatory response. 
And so our sexual health as women is negatively impacted because we're not flushing the system. We, we don't have that access, that easy accessible access to releasing and purging and flushing the lymphatic system in the way that we're designed to through female ejaculation. That's Dr. Paltinari's theory. And I will say that when I was ejaculating regularly, flushing regularly, my, my hormone balance was different. My weight was balanced. Was different. Like there were actual visceral effects. My breast size increased. Like there was a hormonal response when I was ejaculating regularly, my body changed. Wow. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. Wow. And, and yeah, as we spoke about, like the foreskin actually makes it more likely to squirt (laughs) it it triggers it it, that's what it's designed to do like that's the thing like for those of us who are in the field of sexology who study actual sexual anatomy like it is so wild because we are literally literally the genitals are wired for pleasure and like but not just a little bit of pleasure not like oh that's a nice glass of wine like mind-blowing ecstatic insane god-glimpsing pleasure like that is what our genitals are designed for and when you fuck with that you're literally fucking with god Mm, yeah wow wow okay so i've got a couple more questions is that is that the main did have we left anything out around female sexual health with that can i move on Um, I think that we've covered it through throughout this this time, but yeah. I mean, there again, there's I'm sure there's more that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. The microbial balance, infections, mm-hmm. the the dehydration, the wicking the moisture out, the like. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you, you could extrapolate those out. There would be from yeah from the more frequent infections and the wicking away of moisture, then that will create more more complications. And if you have more infections, you're more likely to get cervical cancer. And it just, you, it all kind of just has this knock-on effect. So really mm-hmm. like genitals are designed to fit together perfectly. Once you alter them, they're no longer fitting together perfectly and sex isn't going how it's sort of, you know. Oh, Having said that, it is, you know, some some people don't have foreskins and they can't help that and that's that. But there is um there is something I wanted to chat about about uh, foreskin restoration because that is an option. So if you're listening to this and you're like, holy fuck, I'm screwed, I don't have a foreskin, my life's over, oh my god, or something like I don't want this to all be doom and gloom and like, you know, um, if you don't have a foreskin, well, you're broken. Like that's not the case, and obviously, you know, if it was done in infancy, totally not your fault. Um, so I want to get into that, but first, let's do the segment TMI. We love it. Um, where I ask guests for a TMI story that will be hopefully, uh, yeah, shining a light on a topic that would be usually stigmatized or taboo or hush hush because I find that really inspiring. I think people find it really relatable, really empowering, really, um, yeah, a really special thing to be able to share. So do you have a story for us? Yes, I do. And so I'm sharing this because, uh, because it was a big aha moment for me. And also, uh, to give, give all of us some peace of mind around, um, 
you know, advocating for our, for our desires in the bedroom and, and, and how hard that can be sometimes, uh, because of our cultural conditioning. So this, this occurred several years ago and I was with a, a new, a new partner, a, a new guy I was dating and he was really cute and I wanted him to like me. And, you know, we were having some lovely sexy time and, and, and we were doing this thing. And like, so part of what I teach is, is, if you think of your pleasure on a scale from one to 10, 10 being the most pleasurable, one being the least, uh, you can check in with yourself at various points of your, you know, your sexual stimulation and check in like, where am I on a scale from one to 10? And is there anything I could do that would make this closer to a 10? And so we were having all the sexy time and I was like, ah, oh, this is really good, but what would make it a 10? And it came out of nowhere. It was like a finger in my butt. And like, that was so out of left field for me because that's not usually like my jam, and also like, you know, sometimes that's exactly what the doctor ordered a finger in your butt. But because it was with a new partner, I was 100% embarrassed to ask for what I wanted because I was afraid he would think I was a slut, right? Like is yeah. we, I, I, and at this point I'm this world renowned sex educator. I'm like, Ooh, you get the fun baby <laughs> war. And like, wow, like you, the man. And like, here we are in the sexy time and I have this desire arise and I'm like, Broop. I, I like, I was mortified. I was, I, I was, there was no way. Cause I was afraid of what he would think of me. And I just want to show, cause it's so subtle. Like that desire yeah. arose, but even I'm a world renowned sex educator, but I was still afraid that by yeah. asking for a finger in my butt, that, that, yeah. that, that this person might think poorly of me. So obviously I didn't ask for the th- finger yeah. in my butt, but afterwards when we were chatting, I was like, you know, I didn't say this in the moment, but I really wanted, you know, your finger in my butt. And he was like, damn, I wish you would ask me. And then I told him, well, I didn't ask you because I was afraid of what you would think of me. And he's like, I would have thought you were the fucking bomb. Like, I would have loved it. <laughs> and and all that's true and good. But again, I just wanted to share this because even for those of us who are the most, like, sexually accomplished and whatever, dude, like, cultural conditioning still arises. And we still yes. are afraid sometimes of what people are going to think of us if we want, if we ask for everything that we want, particularly if it has to do with the butt. So just wanted to throw oh, that out God. there for everyone. <laughs> Totally. I love that so much. I love that you brought that up because I'm always talking about that. It's like, I think people tend to put, you know, those of us that have studied this and do this as our thing, they put us on this pedestal and assume that we never have issues with that and we've healed all of our sexual trauma and all of our conditioning. And I'm like, uh uh, it, it happens to the best of us. Like, even years into doing this work, I'll still have moments where something like that arises and I'll, I'll be conscious of it now. I'll be like, oh wow, that's interesting. I thought I'd dealt with that or I thought that I would, um, have the confidence to bring that up, but looks like I'm still uncomfortable with that. Wow. There's still remnants of that, that societal conditioning and that shaming that are so deeply ingrained that, I feel like it's a constant journey and they're always there's always going to be little bits and it kind of ebbs and flows and it's often in a situation with a new lover that they arise I find you know because you're just like oh wow um but I think that's part of it and I think it's really cool to like notice that happening within yourself and rather than shaming yourself and being like I thought I was over this I thought I was better than this what the fuck I, I'm an empowered sexual woman what's going on just be like wow okay totally this is another opportunity to remove another layer and and it's cool like I think 
think it's great talk. I, I often tell people like, if this arises, you don't have to bring it up in the act. That is a vulnerable space to bring that up. Wait until afterwards, have a debrief and then bring it up when you're in a neutral space and you're fully clothed and you're feeling safe and comfortable, then have the conversation. And that's still far better than maybe a few years prior when like, there's no way we would have ever fucking brought it up and we would have felt like shit about it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, and it's an opportunity to be curious, right? It's like, for me, this it's this journey, I call it healing, but it's not like, oh, I'm so wounded, I'm so broken. To me, it's de-armoring. Yeah. It's it's more yeah. blossoming. I think that's the way. Like to me, healing mm. is blossoming. It's like like I I grow these beautiful roses, and so it's like petal by petal, the rose blossoms into its full glory, right? And that's the way I feel mm. like going through my personal journey for the rest of this life. It's like petal by petal, like a rose blossoming and blooming into its fullness. And it's a sweet, beautiful journey. Like a rose, it starts as this bud, and then it just starts to open. At every stage, it's glorious. Mm. Gorgeous. Thank you. I loved that one. Okay. So before, actually, I was going to launch straight into foreskin restoration. Never thought I'd say that sentence, but um, I actually just had another little thought pop into my head about something that I'd love to discuss or just chuck in here because while we're here, while we're just fully taking down male circumcision, infant male circumcision, I wanted to mention the fact that there's a correlation that's been found between um, like the prevalence of infant male circumcision and social violence, like mass shooting, domestic violence, sexual assault, all these other forms of social violence. Um, And I wanted to see what you thought about that and if you had any other things to add to that. Yeah, actually, I've done two podcasts with Dr. Ron Goldman specifically on that, on the connection Mm. between male circumcision and social violence. So Dr. Ron Goldman is like, like the name here, like, look that dude up. Like he is like, about that. but that was what his studies have found. And not just him, but also like, he says, social science, scientists in general. So uh, Mm. one of the things that he said is that um, social scientists around the world have found a prevalence between the societies that are most the most sexually repressive, particularly towards women, are also the most socially violent. Wow. So there is a correlation. And also these same societies that are the most sexually repressive towards women also have the highest rates of infant male circumcision. Whoa, there you go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to check out Ron. I hadn't actually heard of Ron Goldman. Um, so I'm going to check out those podcast episodes for sure. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, I was just reading about um, studies by social scientists around this and it didn't surprise me at all. Like we were talking about before, it's a fucking massive trauma. So yeah. obviously that's going to yeah ripple out into the rest of their lives. And um, if there's this collective trauma that's happening really commonly in a society, then what do you fucking think's going to happen? Well, um, and then layer on top of that, again, particularly in the United States, I'm American. So that's, you know, that's, I live in Canada, but I'm American. Hush. Um, and so if you layer on top of that, the, the wars, the per- perpetual cycle of violence of, of sending our young circumcised men to go fight in wars and then come mm-hmm. home, like, and then you wonder why people are walking around with guns in the United States shooting each other in Walmart. Like, hello, mm-hmm. people. It's an accumulation of trauma. And yes, it begins with that that circumcision. It does make men more prone, as social scientists are finding, more prone to violence, but also more emotionally um, 
uh, um, uh, avoidant. So what the, the, where this, I, I'm going to throw out another uh, book for y'all to read, uh, Healing Developmental Trauma. And so this, this book is about how the brain develops at, at each stage of human development and how trauma impacts that brain development. That is what really brought this home for me in terms of circumcision. Again, because those zero to three years are formative. That is literally where your brain is being, is being developed. Your entire orientation to what it is to be in a body is being developed in those first zero to three years. So any interruptions in that are fucking devastating and you don't recover from that. And one of the prime ways that this trauma manifests is in an inability to connect with the humanity of yourself and another, the inability to form healthy relationships and, and an escapism into the intellect and avoidance of emotion and an avoidance of physical form. Yeah. Wow. And you wonder wow. why you're, you know, your 45 year old man doesn't want to connect with you is emotionally avoidant. Could it have anything to do with the fact that he was generally mutilated at birth? Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Oh, okay. So say someone has unfortunately been subjected to male circumcision when they're a baby. They're now later in life learning about the damage that this has done, noticing how it's affecting them. I've heard of people growing back their foreskin. I've heard of surgery. So I I feel like there's a few different, I haven't looked deeply into it, but I heard a podcast years ago about uh, foreskin restoration and I remember there being like manual things where they like stretched it and helped it grow back if there was enough left from the operation and then there's other um, uh, surgical options. So can you chat a little bit on the methods or techniques or options that someone might have if they don't have a foreskin and they want to get one back? Hey, me again. If you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, I want to mention that you can buy some really dope merch from the website and get yourself a labia lounge tote, tea, togs. Yep, you heard that right. I even have labia lounge bathers or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back. So uh, if fashion isn't your passion, though, you can donate to my Buy Me A Coffee donation page, which is actually called Buy Me A Soy Chai Latte, because I'll be the first to admit, I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. (laughs) You can do a once-off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. And I also have a Sunroom profile over on the Sunroom app, as I've mentioned, And I also offer one-on-one coaching and online courses that'll help you level up your sex life and relationship with yourself and others in a really big way. So every bit helps because it ain't cheap to put out a sweet podcast uh, into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me and my biz financially in any of these ways. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself. Saucy. Um, I'll pop the links in the show notes. Thank you. Later. Yeah. So I don't know tons about the re- the foreskin restoration process. So that again is something that you can Google and look up. Mm-hmm. There are some very reputable sites and there's some men that have experienced my understanding, experienced very wonderful results in doing the foreskin lengthening, um, the stretching and the lengthening. The thing is, is that you're never going to get that back that frenulum. So even though you may be able to stretch the foreskin, it's never going to close around the glands without additional support because you're, you lose the muscle that does that. 
the membrane that does that. Same with foreskin restoration surgery. So Dr. Paul Tanari was the first man in Canada to ever have that done. And that was the thing. They, they took skin from somewhere else on his body and then they, uh, they graft it grafted it onto his penis and then um and and then and then it and it covered the glands but he always had to use a rubber band to close the force to close it around the the glands because it doesn't have i can't remember it's it's a muscle that causes it to contract around the glands and then release and then you lose the frenulum too which is that attachment piece there's like a you know that makes it move back and forth retract and and whatever um, but he did say, interestingly enough, so he did do the little rubber band around the glands, and he said that that um, in the process that the the scar tissue, the callus, did actually peel away, and that and the, the whole, penis, uh huh, it did peel away by keeping it closed and covered. It took you know several months, but over a period of time, it he said it flaked and peeled off, and now the whole glands uh, and the shaft of his of his penis is now mucous membrane again because of that. Okay. So it was affected in that way. But again, you you don't, there's some pieces that you don't recover. What I specialize and I do is I use Tantra and it doesn't restore the foreskin, but it does help heal the trauma using somatically based methods as well as energy body yoga. And it does increase the sensation significantly. So you won't reclaim the foreskin, but you will heal some of the trauma. You will heal some of it in your brain. You will heal some of it in your actual penis. And as I was saying before, a tremendous amount of sensation can be restored. Wow. Oh, my God. Okay. So that's super fascinating. Does first, okay. Okay. A couple of questions arise, rising from that. Does he have to wear an elastic band like full time or was that no. just in? Okay. No, and then time. takes it forever. Okay. Wow. It's, it's because the, the thing that makes the penis cover the glands like initially yeah. is removed. Right, right. Otherwise, it would just sort of roll back. Okay, mm-hmm. but um, but it's gone back to being mucosal membrane, and so he can feel more pleasure now. And does he sort of talk about more uh, increased pleasure and sexual? I haven't sex? actually talked with him about his sexual pleasure, <laughs> so I don't okay. know. <laughs> but I do know that, that he did tell me that the callus flaked off, so I do know that. Yeah. But I have yeah. conversation with him about how much pleasure he has cool oh we'll have to get i have to get him on and have a chat i've read lots of anecdotal um examples of it really improving uh and making orgasm feel like they've nothing they've ever felt before so Mm. i have heard that it's it's worth doing um and then with your methods so how does that work? How do you, I mean, you sort of touched on it, but how, if you could just go into a little bit more how you help men regain deeper pleasure and heal the trauma around it. Yeah. So it's a holistic approach and we use the four pillars of healing. So we work with meditation practices. We work with movement practices. We work with connection based practices. And then of course, sexual pleasure practices. And so it's a, it's a combination of methods. So we work specifically with the energy body first, because in our tradition of Tantra, the energy body is senior to the physical body. So if we want to do any kind of physical work, we want to work energetically first to kind of prepare the ground and till the soil, so to speak, and get things moving and get those channels repairing. In the system of Tantra, the energy body is like maps on to kind of like the the neurological system. It's not quite the same, but it kind of gives you an idea. And again, the energy body is supreme or, or superior. 
So if we're able to regenerate energy channels, the nerve, the actual physical nerve pathways will follow, at least theoretically, right? So we work with the energy body first to begin healing on that level. We work with mindfulness and meditation to cultivate presence in the body. And then we begin this process of reestablishing the connection between the heart, the brain, and the genitals. And through using these somatically based healing methods to begin to release the imprint of trauma and restore sensation, coupled with yogic breathing methods and some other, you know, tantric visualization practices, it, it, it effectively, this has been our experience anecdotally from our, from our students and our lived experience is that again, as the trauma of that experience is shed from the cells, what returns is sensation because that's our birthright. And in the case of the genitals, that sensation is pleasure. So we let go of the pain and we reclaim the pleasure. And then also working with the energy body, it also helps increase and and accelerate that experience because we're working both physically and energetically. And then we're also harnessing that sexual energy and moving it and circulating it through the entire system to enrich and enhance the whole body. And then we can do journaling practices and nonviolent communication to kind of connect with the feelings and the needs around it. But oftentimes, I mean, there is some emotional pain that's released. I've, I've held beautiful sacred space for so many men weeping and grieving as they literally relive that experience of being circumcised as infants and literally releasing the emotion and the trauma from their cell, from their cells and from their nervous system. And the beautiful thing is, is again, once that trauma is released, health is restored. So, so it's released from the brain. The damage to the brain is released. Studies have shown that meditation practices specifically help heal the brain from trauma, heal the traumatic imprint in the brain and grow new areas of the brain that allow make us more emotionally available, more accessible, all of that sort of stuff. So all of those methods combined together holistically is what bears the results that we see. I hope that made sense because that was a little bit rambling. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, so powerful. Yeah, I I wouldn't expect anything less. It has to be holistic to get the results that you're getting. Like it's got to be super holistic. And um, I get so similar when I'm talking about stuff I'm passionate about. I just like jump around. I'm like, this, this, and this, this. Um, No, it makes complete sense. Um, And that's so special and so potent that you're able to offer that for people. And yeah, I'd imagine it would just make such a massive difference. Um, Wow, cool. Okay, so is there anything that we haven't covered off or touched on that you want to add before we wrap up? Because I feel like we've yeah, we've jumped all around the place and we've covered quite a bit. It's been a huge, I mean, my brain's kind of exploding a little bit. I learned a lot and yeah, um, I'm sure people are just like reeling from all of this new information. Um, but is there anything, any parting words or things that you'd like to just flag before we finish? Uh, just that, uh, I hope that our conversation has dissuaded you from wanting to circumcise your infant boys. Please tell all your friends and your relatives. Uh, and also, you know, like it's okay if you don't agree with what we said, the research speaks for itself in my opinion. So please, please do your research. Please look up all our links and all our resources. I mean, we're just passing information forward that other people have gathered and you can gather that same information as well. And then for those of you, you know, I I guess I just want to say that the reason that I feel so passionately about this is because this is a preventable trauma. 
And we don't need to continue perpetuating it against each other and against our brothers and our sons and our husbands, right? We don't, we don't need to continue the cycle of violence. And so that's why I speak so passionately about it. It's not to shame anyone or, you know, criminalize anyone, but Dr. Kellogg, uh, (laughs) he should feel ashamed. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, and it's a sensitive topic. And I know that, you know, some, some people being introduced to this for the first time are like, holy shit, like, what did I do? What did I do to my son or what has been done to me? So, so just be mindful that we're talking about trauma and we're, and, and I come with a lot of heat about it because I have a lot of passion and there's a lot of ignorance to, to penetrate through, (laughs) interestingly enough. Um, but also, uh, you know, just encourage you to be sensitive and mindful and stay self-connected, um, you know, and, and, and just know that if this was done to you, there's no shame. It was not your choice. It was done to you and it was done in ignorance and ignorance is something that we can change. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and I'm, I'm probably, um, feeling a little sad for some of the mothers that did this without realizing because their doctors pushed them or their husbands or it was part of their religion or it's just the done thing. And they didn't know any of what we've spoken about. And now they're learning. They, they would probably feel quite heartbroken that they had done that. So, you know, just know that that's also like where, so many of us are ignorant of this stuff until we're not and you didn't know. Um, but I'd love to just encourage you all to share this episode, do the research, like spread this information as far and wide as you can so that no one else is put in that position where they're making, you know, a really disempowered decision based on ignorance um, and really traumatizing their baby, you know. Um, are there any uh, movements or um, sort of activist sites or petitions or is there any action that we can take to try to make this a thing of the past like you know make it illegal or make it you know are there any things going on that we can add our name to or you know yeah there's there's a lot of 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 uh stuff i can't and i can't remember all of it off the top of my head i apologize for that i i'm going to refer again i'm just going to go to the savingsons.org site because they these this is one site that's done yeah. uh just a tremendous amount of research on it and they have a lot of the other um uh websites they've got national organization of restoring men functions of the foreskin. Um, there's a wonderful movie. Um, uh, circum circumcision, Google the circumcision movie. That okay. is incredible. And that, that contains so many of the experts that, you know, we're, we're citing their research. So it has Dr. Ron Goldman in it. Um, and a variety of other people that I, that I highly respect in the field, uh, speaking out against circumcision, medical professionals. So the mm-hmm. circumcision movie, I encourage you to Google that. Um, and there's just, there's, there's a, there's just so much out there and I just can't remember all of it on the top of my head. Yeah, so yeah. Oh, good. Well, I'll put that, I'll put that link and it sounds like savingsons.org is a bit of a one-stop shop and you can then just find, find other yeah. avenues. And I'm sure there's ways that you can take action and yeah, push for this to become obsolete like it should have been a long time ago um yeah wow well thank you so much Davey this has been bloody enlightening I've learned so much you've been a joy um yeah really appreciate your time and generosity with all of your knowledge and passion yeah yeah thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it 
Mm, and I'm going to put Davy's links uh, to Authentic Tantra Education and, and her work in the show notes. Definitely check that out. I'll put it in the Facebook group um, because, yeah, really good stuff. And I've, I've definitely done a couple of episodes in the past about my uh, and some others like neo-tantra history, which have been sort of shedding light on the underbelly of all of that. But what Davy is doing, different thing. So get around it. <laughs> yeah. Very different. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. All right. See you later, everyone. Bye. And that's it, darling hearts. Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode, or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex-positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT, and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.